slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. This episode of Doing Time contains audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have died and discussion of deaths in custody. First up on the show, we are going to be speaking with Pamela Kerr, who is a veteran activist working over many years with asylum seekers and refugees, and she also did some work at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. And we're going to be speaking with Pamela about a very important step in the right direction. There's still a lot of more work to be done. Australia is to release asylum seekers in indefinite detention after a landmark ruling, and we will speak with Pamela shortly about that. Then after that, we will speak with Nicole Lee from People with Disability Australia, and we will speak with her about the final report of the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability. And we'll speak with her about the 222 recommendations that were made in terms of improving laws, policies, structures and practices to ensure a more inclusive and just society that supports the independence of people with disability and their right to live free from violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation. And we will now cross over to Pamela and speak with her about um, asylum seekers and refugees. Rising Tide invites you to join the People's Blockade of the world's largest coal port from November 24 to 27 at Mullabimba, Newcastle. 1% of global emissions are from coal shipped through the port. We are in a climate crisis. It can't continue. Thousands of people will gather to demand no new coal and an end to coal exports by 2030 and alternative secure jobs for coal workers. Get on the water or chill out on the beach with live music and more. Register your interest at risingtide.org.au forward slash blockade and we'll get in touch with you. Rising Tide is a 3CR supporter. Change has to come. Change has to come. Change has to come. And in case you've just tuned in, this is the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio. 
And I'd like to welcome a very honoured guest, Pamela Kerr, and she is um, a well-known activist and we're going to be speaking with her about a landmark court ruling that paves the way to end the indefinite detention of asylum seekers. Hello, Pamela, welcome. Hi, Marissa. It's really lovely to have you. Now, there's been quite scanty information in the media. Would you just be able to set the record straight and tell us the background and where the ruling, what court the ruling took place and, and just what's going on? Sure. Uh, last Wednesday, um, the, uh, court, the High Court, full bench, uh, heard the case on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, normally the High Court, when they have a full bench uh, hearing, it can take some months for a decision to come through. But because of the particular nature of this, um, they surprised everyone by handing down a decision late on Wednesday afternoon. And what a decision it was. To be quite honest, there's a lot of us old activists who never thought we would see this day, so it is so welcome. What they said was that basically they overturned what had been the previous situation where people could be held in Australia in immigration detention for their entire lives and never be released. And the people who could be held could be on a number of reasons. Some may have been to prison, but you didn't necessarily have to have committed a crime. You could be held on some sort of character ground. Um, perhaps you'd been questioned by the police um, about, you know, a noisy party or something, and then the police pass that information to the immigration department. They pick the person up, put them in detention, cancel their visa... And even when the police say, well, there's no case to, uh, to answer, we're not pursuing this, we're not charging him, You've had, the visa's been cancelled and the person sits there in detention at the Minister's pleasure. And this has been going on now since the Al-Khateb decision back in 2003-04 when a Palestinian man um, who could not return to... He'd actually been born in Kuwait of... Palestinian refugee parents. He had no country that would take him, and so the court said he could stay in detention for the rest of his life. Now, overturning that last Wednesday means that we had, and we still have, hundreds of people in detention, in indefinite detention, meaning they're just sitting there, they don't know when they're going to be released, and they're dependent upon the minister releasing them. So, what happened, um, which is very rare in the immigration department, they got their act together and on Friday we started to see the releases. We held our breath. There was great nervousness all round. Inside detention, people were waiting and hoping that they'd get the call. We in the community waiting for a call from someone we'd known for years and years. And so Friday and Saturday... And even Sunday, um, 80 people were released from Yonga Hill, the detention centre over in WA, from the Biter, the one in Brisbane, from Billawood, the one in Sydney, and from the Mitre down the road here in Broadmeadows. It really is a miracle. So even from Mitre? Yes, even from wow. the Mitre. And so people came out. Now, some of them... Were lucky they had family 
and went home to family, but many, of course, don't. And some of them had been in detention up to 11, 12 years, you know. So anyway, um, some were released on no visas, but the visas are being fixed today. Others came out on bridging visas. Now, the bridging visa are, you know, the immigration, I won't go into it because you know how complicated it is. Nobody can understand it except lawyers, and I'm not a lawyer. Um, but it does mean that um, we understand that they will have access to work rights and to Medicare and Centrelink, and they will not have uh, a permanent visa, but they will have um, a visa that is called a return pending. It sounds frightening and it is insecure, but there is no requirement that they arrange their return. So, um, I mean, it's, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect except uh, get rid of this bloody system. But what it is, it's giving people a chance of life. So... Prior to this, laws allowing indefinite detention of asylum seekers have shaped Australia's border politics for the last two decades. So the government yes. was routinely holding people for a prolonged period of time, wasn't it? Some yes. for over a decade. Yes. yes. And, you know, we need to remind people this. I noticed that um, the opposition, of course, are carrying on as uh, these people are going to come out and do some heinous crime, blow up the world, which is, you know, amongst the people. Yes, there are people who've committed uh, serious crime and there are others who haven't at all. But, you know, this is the way it is in Australia. If somebody commits a crime and is found guilty and they do the time, they then come out and they restart their lives. Correct. And why shouldn't these people too? They're human beings too. Um, the other thing that I think it's important to note that uh, back, oh gosh, about six or oh, eight or nine years now, there was a group of people in detention. There were about um, 38 from memory, 38 or 39, who were said to be a security risk and they couldn't be released because uh, ASIO and everybody said they were a security risk and they sat around in detention and most most of them were Tamil but there were a couple of others and this went on and on until the government really couldn't bear it anymore because they were being so roundly criticised, particularly from the international human rights sector. So they sent in um, an ex-judge to exam re-examine their cases and what did she find? They were no longer a security risk. It's just mm. like waving a magic wand. So they were released slowly here and there. And you know, not one of those persons has created a problem. They're living in the community, they're working, some got married, some have had babies. They don't have proper visas, but they have a life. So, you know, over the 20 years, we've seen this sort of thing happen before. Where, and also, we shouldn't forget, Marissa, as you know only too well, people die in prison. Yes. People die in detention. And I have lost two friends, two men I knew, one died on Christmas Island and one died on Manus. And they were there in indefinite detention. Both had been found to be refugees. Both should have been released, but they weren't. They were caught in this 
indefinite detention trap. So, you know, lives were lost under this policy. So this is why we're so overjoyed that finally the High Court saw reason and recognised the immorality and the cruelty of it and got rid of it. So they're no longer stateless then? Well, they are stateless because they don't have a country to call their own, so they're here in Australia. Um, What happens next? Well, that will be um, something we'll be working on. I mean, the people will be living here on bridging visas. They won't have citizenship and they won't have a passport, but that's not to say that over time these things cannot be corrected. I hope Um, so. Yes. We all, it, all hope so. And indeed, the, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees said the decision has got the potential to begin to align Australia's immigration detention practices with international law. Yes. It's a pity that some of these agencies weren't more outspoken over the last 20 years. But anyway, we have to be glad that um, they can see the light when it you know, dawns on them. I mean, the people we have to thank for this, first of all, the people who held on, the courage and the determination to believe that one day they'd be free in detention. And, you know, they've gone through bad times. Some have been suicidal. Some have been really um, physically and mentally unwell. And they held on. And the other group, other lawyers... Not too many people talk about lawyers, but these, over the 20 years, um, lawyers have consistently uh, gone trawled through the legislation and some of them have gone to court with the cases and tried to challenge and overturn this um, and have been unsuccessful, but it hasn't deterred them. They keep at it and at it and finally there's a group of lawyers who've been able to unpick it to the extent that the High Court judges, the full bench, recognise the case and have um, overturned it. Pamela, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Do you have any final comments before we finish? No, look, I, I just urge people when they've, you know, we all know people saying, oh, gee, who are these people that are going to come out? What are they going to do? Just remind them, they're just people like us. And it, it, it is unfortunate politics in this country to beat the drum and carry on as though people are a danger and a threat. Um, give them a break and let them make a new life. They're people like us. Absolutely. Pamela, thank you so much. I'm hoping to, you know, do another update at some stage. This is really good news. Thanks a lot. Okay. Yes, good news, and there's not a lot of good news about, so this is great. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Gecko's turning 30 and we're having a party. 
The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippsland's forest since 1993 and we want to party with you. There'll be music, performances, food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au. Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.16. And you just heard an extended interview with Pamela Kerr, veteran activist helping asylum seekers and refugees and doing work with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. And we spoke with Pamela about the landmark High Court ruling of the release of asylum seekers in indefinite detention. And the High Court made that decision, not the government. And um, basically, their time will end now in detention. And next up, we're going to be speaking with Nicole Lee, from, who is the President of People with Disability Australia. And as I said in my introduction, we're going to be speaking with her about the final report of the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability. And the Royal Commission has actually made 222 recommendations on how to improve uh, the lives of people with disability in a so-called just society. And we've spoken with Nicole quite a few times and I've really enjoyed her company because we've often talked about police, we've talked about prisons, I've talked with her quite a lot during the Royal Commission, the duration of it, and we've also spoken a little bit about um, First Nations people um, and how they they have been in prison a lot. She wasn't representing them, of course, but she was talking about the disability aspect of it. So the inquiry had a strong focus on the human rights of people with disability. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's so lovely to have you. Now, are you able to speak up just a tiny bit? Uh, yes, I can. Lovely. Or I can take my AirPods out if that helps. <laughs> That's lovely of you. Thank you so much. Now, Nicole, I know that this report was actually released in September and there were some amendments made um, sometime in November. Could you just talk a little bit about, give an overview of the report and speak about some of the recommendations? Okay, so like an overview of the report, I guess, you know, there's 222 recommendations, which, you know, it doesn't seem like a hell of a lot of recommendations considering this has to span violence that is experienced across the course of our lifetimes in multiple different settings for multiple different um, diverse communities as well. So in that regard, there could have been a lot more, personally, in my opinion, but let's not go there on that one. Um, So some of the really... Really, really good stuff in, in the report is, you know, a calling for an end to group homes, even though the timeline is about 15 years, which doesn't seem quite soon enough. Um, and it's a little bit difficult to kind of um, see that happening, I guess, considering some of the discourses come out since the Royal Commission report was released. 
Um, there was recommendations around ending segregated education. And again, that's got a 28-year timeline. So that's a really, really long timeline. So it's you know, several generations of children will be subjected to segregated education and potential more violence and abuse before we get to a point where we have an integrated school system. Um, so, and, and then some of the other really good recommendations is some really good recommendations around the housing and homelessness and the lack of accessible housing and, and sort of um, pointing to that with some of the recommendations that there has to be some action plans developed to... Um, deal with the homelessness for people with disabilities. So we're more likely to end up in group homes if we can't secure, um, you know, housing outside of that. So, or otherwise we end up homeless um, as a result, um, which nobody wants to end up homeless, um, not by choice. Um, there's also some recommendations that spoke to the criminal justice system, police responses, first community, first nation, sorry, um, communities, um, supported decision making. Uh, ending involuntary sterilisation was a really big one um, that came out of this, which you know, really, it should have happened a very long time ago in this country and it shouldn't have taken a Royal Commission to say, we need to stop forcibly sterilising people with disability. <laughs> so, um, there were some recommendations around restrictive practice, but you know, honestly didn't go far enough and was kind of a little bit disappointing because it really is upholding um, us to, you know, uh, um, you know, in, in enacting human rights in the CRPD with some of the recommendations. So they had lots of reasons in which um, they still believe that uh, things like seclusion and restraint could still be used in certain contexts, which, you know, goes against um, the human rights and CRPD principles. Um, and, you know, and then some of the things that sort of were, you know, a bit missed with the Royal Commission, if... Um, you'd like me to touch on that. So early education sure. and tertiary education wasn't included in the report. Um, the ending of segregation was a little bit ambiguous because they were very strong and we need to end segregation. But then they also put in a recommendation around building new schools that would be nearby mainstream schools. So they contradict each other. Um, and then a recommendation that gave schools even an excuse to not take on children with disabilities. If it was too much of an undue hardship, you know, financially... Or, or to include the child in the school. So that doesn't scream inclusive education. That actually just gives schools a reason not to take children. So those couple of recommendations are a little bit difficult to, to sort of read. And then we go on to, like, gender-based violence. There's only about five recommendations in there, and none of them referred to sexual violence at all. So that was disappointing to see. Um, you know, but they have called for a five-year plan for women and girls with disability to end violence against women and girls with disability, which... You know, we've been advocating for many years for us to be fully included within the Women's Safety Plan and not be a, a se se segregated um, sort of, you know, tack on to the Women's Safety Plan um, because, you know, a, a, a standalone disability plan to end violence against women and girls with disabilities is not going to capture the diversity of our community. So that's why we need to be embedded throughout so that all services are accessible for women and girls with disabilities that are experiencing violence. So... And also to see no recommendations in there in regards to, you know, the alarming rates of sexual violence against um, women and girls with disabilities, especially when the Commission found that, you know, 46% of women with cognitive disability and 50% of women with psychosocial disability have experienced sexual violence compared to only 16% of women without disabilities. So that's, that's actually, that's, that's huge. And to have no recommendations um, is a bit of a glaring omission. Um, yeah, and then, you know, some of the recommendations on restrictive practice, they talked about legislation around, you know, when it can be authorised. Well, we already have mental health laws that do that. And if anything, it's more regressive 
than what came out of our Family Violence Royal Commission here in Victoria, where they actually set a deadline for ending the use of seclusion and restraint in services in Victoria. So it actually um, is, is suggesting that you know, the laws in Victoria, you know, that we should, we should be less progressive than what we currently are. So that was really disappointing to see. And again, doesn't uphold our rights. So whilst there's some really good stuff in there, like there's a lot of things that just, just didn't sit quite right. And I don't know whether or not that was because not all the commissioners had a disability. And I guess when you've only got two commissioners sitting on out of six, it's really difficult for those two commissioners to try and get the rest of the four on board with upholding our rights holistically, like across the board, and that that is, that that is a non-negotiable. It really is. And as, as you're talking, you know, there's just a couple of thoughts going through my mind, and that is that it feels as if there's not a lot of lived experience, and I've done quite a few interviews about that over the course of the Royal Commission. Can you comment on that? Um, well, yeah, it really should have been an entire Royal... All the Royal Commissioners should have been people with disabilities. You know? um, and the other commissions, I'm sure, were really great. There was a couple that we yeah. had a few issues with because of conflicts of interest. But ultimately, to really understand the nature and the extent and, and, and what it's like to be subjected to that abuse. And, to, you know, you really need to have a lived experience of disability to understand the life that we've led. You know, people can understand these things conceptually, but then in, in reality... It's, it's you know it's a much different thing and and it's the same if you know when um, you know whenever we do any reforms or work in First Nations community you know ultimately you know all of those people that sit above those panels should be people from First Nations communities you know and as we know that that doesn't always happen either so I'm not saying that that happens for First Nations communities but you know that, that's where it should be you know um, community led is a really important key to understanding how reforms fit and work for the community and what things are vitally important um, when making recommendations. Um, and, you know, and it feels a little bit conservative in some parts and, and ultimately I put that down to the fact that not all the commissioners had disability. Absolutely, and that was just really important to highlight during this interview. Can you comment on the criminal justice system and the over-policing uh, and, and also prison time for not just First Nations people, but also people with disability. And I know you and I have done a few interviews about over-policing. Could you comment on that? I mean, are there recommendations pertaining to uh, not having such a high rate of imprisonment? Uh, look, there was there was recommendations in there talking about sort of you know, preventative pathways and the role of the NDIS and... and, and um um, yeah, I haven't had a whole chance to look at in depth at all of this, but look, ultimately, yeah, it, it isn't strong enough in regards to pushing back onto the state and territory governments to change a lot of their legislation and a lot of their handling of people with disability um, and dealing with a lot of the poverty that leads to criminalisation, you know, of people from you know marginalised communities. There wasn't enough uplift in in the recommendations around sort of you know sort of alleviating that poverty, um, you know, unless we make you know the uh, the um, disability support pension more accessible, um, because that got tighter and tighter over the years. So lots of people with disability are living on. Um, you know, un unemployment benefits versus a slightly higher disability pension. Um, like I think there's things in there 
which in regards to sort of criminalisation around, you know, the Royal Commission can't work or, or change anything to do with the increasing, um, you know, sort of the cost of living crisis that we're currently having at the moment. But, you know, hopefully a lot of the other moving parts around uplifting people's lives would then lead to less criminalisation. But, you know, it sort of spoke around the role of the NDIS and the criminal justice system to work hand-in-hand hand with them around, you know, working with people with disability, um, you know, that have, you know, sort of offended. Um, and then I think there's some recommendations in there around indefinite detention. And, again, that's a, that's a tricky one um, to roll out nationally because, you know, we've got different state and territory legislation. So, you know, indefinite detention means a very different thing to what it does in Queensland, um, you know, as we saw in that Four Corners episode. So... Um, it's a matter of, you know, looking at what is the best practice and, you know, what reforms are being done in different states and who's actually working towards rehabilitating people and not holding them in these spaces, um, offering trauma-informed care and moving people out once they are recovered versus, you know, keeping people indefinitely in, you know, worse than prison-like in... in, in um, it's almost like a 1950s um, zoo-like setting that people are being held in in some of these places in different states and territories around the country. Absolutely, and you know we we all know also the the inadequate inadequate um, if you like landscape that police work in. There's so much over policing of people mm. with disability and First Nations people and people from minority groups. But one of the things that that I really highlighted quite a lot during the Royal Commission was doing a lot of interviews with people with disability in regards to over-policing. Can you comment on that? Uh, probably not today. I'd have to That's do a lot right. more reading. <laughs> um, when it comes to the over-policing things, I think there's a lot of things in, in regards to shifting of community attitudes, which, sure. um, again, you know, um, that takes a big community and government sort of, uh, you know, long-term piece of work that... Sure. Yeah, wasn't spoken of as much in the commission, but you know, again, if we go to that piece around um, having inclusive education, so all of us are you know are brought up and learning and you know and and evolving alongside our peers, just like everybody else, we start to break down a lot of that stigma that it then filters into the way in which we treat people with disability, so that you know we don't get over policed. So when police turn up, we're not automatically being arrested, or we're not automatically being disbelieved when we're trying to explain our side of the circumstances. Um, you know, so that we're not subjected to stigmas that are then harnessed and used against us in courtrooms that lead to really poor outcomes within the criminal justice system. So breaking down that stigma from a young age um, and then shifting community attitudes is, is going to go a long way to, you know, sort of changing the attitudes of, of future, you know, police officers, you know, down the track. And if we're constantly segregated, we're going to constantly be seen as being those other over there and we're going to constantly be seen in such a negative light because people don't understand our lives, which then you know, leads to poor outcomes when we engage with police, whether it's you know, from you know, a criminalised side of things or from a victim side of things. We don't get believed in courtrooms on either side we sit on, um, you know, whether we're um, being accused or whether we're the, the victim of a crime. We still don't get, get believed in a courtroom. We're constantly seen as untrustworthy um, you know, lying and and um, you know, um, you know, it just seemed in, you know, in a very poor light. So I think there's a lot of those community things that then would work towards those things. You know, and and, and in regards to your police, 
Um, we've constantly been banging on for years around the fact that we need you know, better training for police, better understanding, more nuance in their approach and responses. And, and more recently, um, especially with the, you know, the increase of mental health um, responses that are really, really poor from police, is that police should not be the first responders for somebody who's having, you know, in the middle of a mental health crisis or has psychosocial disability um, and is in distress. Because police, you know, we've been subjected to such poor treatment in the past, the police are an automatic trigger that will, you know, send us off into the other direction versus into actually de-escalating the situation. They actually inflame the situation. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> I'd have to read a little bit more to understand, you know, what the recommendations were around that. No, and no, whether or not they were actually done, strong enough. You've you've done a fantastic job, and in fact, Nicole, it's not you. The this is don't put this onto yourself. This is about the fact that the the recommendations are not strong, isn't it? It's not about you're doing a fabulous job explaining oh. what the recommendations are. They're just not like strong. There's some, really, there's some really good ones in there, but then it, then it sort of then puts into conservative. And again, all I can see is that is just the product of the fact that you had two commissioners with disability and four that didn't, and there was tension within the commissioners. That's pretty obvious. And, and you can read that throughout the report where they've agreed, where they've disagreed, where they've argued, where there's, um, especially on the schools one, because the commissioners were, se were separated on that. They were divided. Um, and then so you've got really strong recommendations, unfortunately, with a very long timeline, but then you've got recommendations that then contradicted the ending of um, segregated education. So it's it, it's a little bit unclear, and I'm, I'm hoping we will definitely be working towards that ending segregation and we will absolutely have a pathway that, that works towards eliminating segregated education. But then to see a recommendation that says that schools can, you know, um, not enrol children with disability on the basis of all of these reasons is, is disappointing to see. But, you know, there are good things in there around, you know, having a disability minister board in is a really good start to start with, um, that we shouldn't just fall under the remit of the social services minister and the NBIS minister. So we're either, either in needing of care or we're in needing of, um, um, you know, government services and, and, and welfare. So, you know, Disability sits across all cohorts of the community, and if we had a minister for disability that would hold the health the health minister, the immigration minister, multicultural minister, the First Nations minister to account on their responsibilities within this royal commission, that would put us in a much stronger position. But you know, at the moment, we we don't have that. Um, and then some of the other really good things, which fingers crossed, we do actually get it across the line, is things like a disability discrimination act. Um, to be um, sort of the Disability Discrimination Act to be um, overhauled to make it more usable because it's not very um, easy to apply at the moment. And also a Disability Rights Act, which would actually hold all these different government, federal sectors, uh, things like Centrelink and everything, to account to actually abiding by the Convention of the Rights of People with Disability. So that would be a really, really strong position and a really huge win out of this um, Royal Commission if we got that Disability Rights Act in there. And I know they're talking about bringing in a Human Rights Act, but you know what? For once in my life, I want to be greedy. You know what? I want double layer of protection for our community because we've got you know so much further to go than the rest of the community to get up to equal that for now, until we have a safer community, we actually need an extra layer of protection um, to make sure that our rights are being upheld because I don't trust that the Human Rights Act will go far enough in protecting us. It's actually true, and I, and I hope that 
I'm not taking up too much of your time, Nicole, but it's just so important no. to talk about these issues rather than just um, in the mainstream media par- parroting the recommendations. Mm. We need to actually talk about it from a lived experience perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, like, and the other thing, yeah, from government response is that, you know, they're setting up an intergovernmental sort of task force, which is fine, and they, but they won't have their response until early next year, so maybe February or March. Um, that's a really, really long time for the community to wait. What would be really great is if they could, you know, do an early um, response in, you know, committing to, um, uh, you know, some of the recommendations early ahead of that report out of this task force. Like, there's some really easy recommendations that they don't need a task force to, d- to deliberate over, you know, whether or not they do or do not um, do certain things. So, you know, the Disability Rights Act, committing to ending forced sterilisation of people, strengthening the Disability Discrimination Act, um, de- um, sorry, yeah, developing the Independent National Disability Commission, creating a new federal government portfolio, um, dismantling the barriers to inclusive education, open employment and addressing issues with housing. Um, and reviewing the DRC's recommendations on restrictive practice and going back to one of the earlier reports that was handed to them that gave them an eight-point plan around eliminating restrictive practice versus, you know, the recommendations that we got. So there's some really, really easy early commitments the government could kind of make at this point in time ahead of that task force coming out with its much more detailed response. And that would give the community a little bit of certainty around that action is being taken, that the report isn't just going to sit on a shelf and collect dust, um, and that that report is being taken seriously and protecting our lives is also being taken seriously. So basically from the cradle to the grave at the moment, a person with a disability in some ways will find it challenging, like, for example, the involuntary sterilisation comes into effect Mm -hmm. here, so that still hasn't been addressed. And then you've got school where a child with a disability is more likely to be bullied or not have access Mm -hmm. to education, proper education and supports. And Mm -hmm. then the person with a disability, if they're lucky to get employment, they they actually can be undermined and bullied in the workplace because mm. of power balances. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. And and that's where the you know, the, the the sooner we start to work towards your know, inclusive education, the sooner we start to break down that stigma and we educate students around disability. And if kids are around other children with disability all the time and we're just alongside our peers um, like everybody else, and, and, and then we become the norm and we don't become that weird thing over there that gets picked on. Kids are cruel. I'm not going to lie. Kids are very brutal. But the more they see us, the more they see us as one of them in the playground, in the classroom, the more likely we are to break down you know, those attitudes from a really, really young age. And, and as the Commission um, sort of uh, uncovered and pointed out, is that we're more likely to go into um, you know, uh, sheltered workshops if we go to special schools, are more likely to end up in in group homes if we attend special schools. So, you know, that inclusion piece then breaks down, you know, being segregated, you know, at multiple different points throughout our life. And and the and the things like the, you know the Disability Discrimination Act, making that stronger, you know, reevaluating that, making it stronger, making putting the onus back on the service to not discriminate versus us to prove that we were discriminated against. You know, shifting the balance of power with that act. Um, you know, with that bit of legislation will actually mean that, you know, hopefully 
for a lot of us who have been discriminated in the workplace will actually have a mechanism that will hold them to account. Whereas at the moment, with the um, the Discrimination Act we've got at the moment, it, it's really, really difficult to do that. It really is. The person with disability is on trial, not the mm, service yes. provider. Yes, yes, and 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 hopefully, you know, if if they bring in those changes that the, the Royal Commission recommended, you know, the onus will then be slipped into the other side, and and hopefully it'll be a lot easier for us to then, you know, take um, you know discrimination cases, you know, using that bit of legislation to actually hold workplaces to do better, and and to you know create safer and more inclusive employment environments. You know, it's fine for government to do these things, but you know, if we're talking about you know cafes, supermarkets. Um, you know, factories, retail workers, you know, they're not putting in, you know, a lot of them, Some, I'm sure some are, but, you know, for the majority, I'm sure, you know, it's just too time costly and, and actually bring those things in. Um, so if you've got that act there that is usable, then, you know, that bit of legislation there that's usable, hopefully be able to hold more of those places to account. And once that is actually being tested in real life, you know, you know, a lot of employees, employers will actually start doing better because they don't want to be subjected to litigation. Absolutely. And, of course, you've got your first, our First Nations people that have a double mm. disadvantage yes. because of the racism. Although, yes. you know, one of the things that really isn't talked about quite a lot is people, particularly adults with disability and children with disability from a non-English-speaking yes. background where the parents didn't speak English when the child was growing up. And as an adult, there are still far-reaching impacts and consequences arising from that which can cause discrimination. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. And, and that's where, you know, sort of, you know, um, different things like, you know, women's safety plans and, and all of those sort of government action plans, we need to be embedded throughout versus just a little segregated disability plan to the side. Otherwise, we're not going to capture diverse communities within disability. We're not all one homogenous cohort of people. We, we've come from different backgrounds. We've got different intersecting areas of other discrimination um, and intersecting areas where, you know, we're not the same as other disabled people beside us. We're all very different. And if you bring in, um, the, you know, the queer community and trans community, you've got just layers and layers of, you know, um, inequality, ableism, homophobia, um, you know, racism, um, that, that just start to then um, push in on the person and make them more and more, um, you know, sort of uh, feeling unsafe within society. So, you know, that's where discrimination acts and things like, you know, action plans that are inclusive versus segregated ones is, is really the only way in which, you know, I personally feel we're going to get to a, a position of, um, you know, breaking down those things. Absolutely. Are you still there, Nicole? Yeah, yep, I'm still here. Sorry, I was just having Oh, good, you just stay in that hot spot. <laughs> now, lastly, I believe that the, the government, the Australian government and state territory governments, need to publish written responses to the final report by the 31st of March 2024? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I do believe, yeah, and that's when the task force is also um, sort of come out, going to come out with their response. That's an awful long time to wait. It really is, but we've we've been waiting a long time, haven't we? And I'm yeah, hoping, as I said, that there, there really are some easier to implement without having to sort of really discuss the nuance of it. Um, recommendations that they could actually commit to early, ahead of those reports coming out, that would be a really good olive branch to the community right now. 
and other Royal Commissions have done that. Absolutely. To be perfectly transparent, as a vision-impaired woman, I can't even download the report or the executive summary from the website with yep. my Braille technology. It's been a little bit disappointing because an easy-read version didn't come out straight away either and that had to be um, put together after the report was released, after people said, you know, there's no easy-read version of this. So it's a little disappointing to find that it hasn't been um, emailed out in, in, in different um, or available in different formats considering we're a community of people with disability. Um, I also found the report very, very difficult and hard to navigate and understand. You know, based on, you know, I've read Royal Commission reports from here in Victoria and it's easy to understand the recommendations. Um, they've got really good rationale behind what the recommendations and why and what it is that they're trying to solve, whereas this report was very difficult to read. Oh. Um, and I had to keep going to the easy read version because it just didn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, even for for a report for a community, you know, that um, is undereducated, it's a really, really difficult report to read. And it's also, um, you know, hasn't been um, delivered in different formats for, you know, different ways in which we need to interact with it. Like I said, you know, sort of easy read and, um, you know, and, and for different screen readers and things. So, like, it's... Uh, Really, that really should have been thought of. So I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't know what got in the way in the end or whether it was time. I'm not sure. But ultimately, I would have thought that they would have been a bit of a 101. So it's now up to the Australian government, isn't it, to act on the recommendations for change? Yes. Yes, it very much is. I'm, I'm hopeful with the government that we've got that they will make the, um, a really strong commitment. They've already come out early saying that they, that they will. Um, it's just that long wait that is just, it's a very long time to sit with. Um, and like I said, you know, some early commitment would, would, you know, go a long way to giving people some sense of um, assurity around their commitment as well. But you know, ultimately, you know, March next year, we're not that far away from another election after that. So, you know, it, it, everything feels like there's a time pressure at this point in time. Absolutely. So can you actually read out the website where the, the final report can be read, and I believe there are 12 volumes altogether. <laughs> yes. I will... Hang on. I will get to it. Oh, my goodness, I just have to Google it myself. I, don't I know have to look it up myself, too, actually. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's all right. Anyway, people can Google the the Royal Commission final report and, and have a look yep. at that, that website. It's pretty easy to find, isn't it? Yeah, I usually just put into put in Google um, Disability yep. Royal Commission and then straight up on the final report. So it's disability dot royal commission. Um, uh, and I can't read the rest of it. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Mobile, look, so. it's pretty easy to find. I mean, if people yeah, put into their Google search dot, engine, yeah, um, disability dot royal commission dot gov dot au. There we are. Thank you so much. It's approximately 4.46 and you're listening to an interview with Nicole Lee from People with Disability Australia and she is the President and talking about the Royal Commission and its final report. Nicole, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Are there any final comments that you want to make before we finish? Uh, not that I can think of. Just thanks for having me on. And, and, and it's important to, uh, I guess, keep this in the public sort of narrative and discourse until we until we get to March next year. I think the community is very anxious around it falling off, you know, um, the public scope, so to speak, and that people will lose interest if we're not talking about it. And when 
Um, so it's like, yeah, it's really great. And I wanted to say thank you for, for having us on um, and that the community really, really values um, this being elevated um, into that you know, public conversation. So thank you. Thanks so much, Nicole. And uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> Will do. Catch you next time. Catch you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Disabled people are worth every bloody penny. I'm okay with spending money on the supports that we need. There's more than 400,000 people who should be on the DSP, but are on Job Seeker instead. I've got a life to live. I've got commitment. Like everybody else in society. The only way to provide meaningful support is stronger grassroots movements. These institutions are never going to be our saviour. If everyone was the same, it would be a born old world we live in. We need to do a lot of work in this country around shifting community attitudes towards people that don't fit the white, able, straight, cisgendered person. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. And we're nearing the end of our show. In case you've just tuned in, this is the Do and Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. It's approximately 4.54 and you have heard two interviews today. The first extended interview was with Pamela Kerr veteran activist for asylum seekers and refugees, speaking about a landmark High Court decision to prevent um, preventing indefinite detention or paving the way. And then after that, we had an extended interview with Nicole Lee 
from People with Disability Australia. She's the president, and we spoke with her about the final report of the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability. So we're nearing the end of our show. It's approximately 4.55, and we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time Show, and Climate Action is up next. Thanks so much, and stay safe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.